The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We uh, came back yesterday after an extended break and we're thrilled to be back in the year 2014 to be here with you. We're going to be live for the next two hours talking about autism from a 360 degree perspective. We want to hook you up with resources and information to help you in whatever your journey looks like. We know that this is a big, beautiful spectrum filled with lots of people, with lots of different concerns, um, you know, daily concerns that look completely differently. So there's a lot to talk about. We want to talk about it with you and help you to get connected with the things that you want to know about. This entire show is meant to be interactive, so we want to start by reminding you that there are lots of different ways that you can participate with us because this show is supposed to be a conversation back and forth. So first of all, you can go to www.autism-live.com and that's a great place to watch the live show. It's not the only place to watch the live show. But when you go there, you see a computer screen, there is a triangle on the computer screen, click on it and you can be watching the live show or the most recently recorded live show. Next to that computer screen is a lovely long white bar that you can that's our live feature put your cursor there hit uh, type away hit enter and it shows up with a slight delay on our screen here I have an opportunity to read it and to be able to talk with you in almost real time and for to further your questions to our experts that we have on the show I want to reiterate that it's you can use that feature to talk to us about what you're seeing to give us a review of what you're seeing, ask a question, suggest a topic, whatever it is that you'd like to be talking about, uh, it's a great way to communicate with us. But it's not the only way to communicate with us. And Emily is going to cycle through some of the different ways that you can watch the show and some of the different ways that you can communicate with us. Uh, we, of course, are a big presence on YouTube, and we hope that wherever you watch us, that you'll do two things. Uh, you can, on most of the ways that you can watch us, that you'll participate and leave a question or a comment or something like that, but also that you'll share us. Whether you're checking out our information on our Facebook page, uh, give us a like and share it, or if you're on the YouTube page, give us a review. All of that helps. It's, it's a way for you to help this information get to more people. You know the way the internet works now, and when people share information or they review it, it allows other people for it to come up in their feeds or uh, it comes to their attention uh, more frequently. So participate in whatever way that you would like to and help us to continue to bring you quality information in a free format because that's really important to us. I always like to remind all of you that I am not an expert in autism. 
Wish that I was sometimes. Sometimes I'm glad I'm not, <laughs> right? Um, but I'm a parent. My son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. In fact, we are this week gonna be hitting the, is it the eighth anniversary? It is the eighth anniversary of when my child was diagnosed with autism. I still get a little verklempt. Eight years, right? Um, but I, I frequently, it's, it takes nothing for me to go back to that day and the three to six months leading up to that day and to feel the emotion at that time of what am I going to do, how am I going to do it, and who do I need to know to make this all happen and how overwhelming it was to me. And, and I will tell you honestly that I got incredibly lucky, incredibly lucky, because we were able within six months to get hooked up to funding and services for quality ABA therapy. And that's something we're gonna be talking about a lot today, something we're gonna be talking about a lot in the year 2014. Um, but I did get hooked up with that information and the funding and the services so that six months almost to the day after my son was diagnosed, he started quality ABA therapy. And, and I'll tell you, it's not the only thing we did, and um, nor should it be the only thing that anybody does, but it was miraculous in that the progress that we saw with our child, and I know that my child is not unique. <laughs> He is unique. What, who am I kidding? He's wonderful and he's unique. But our experience of ABA is by no means unique. And more of you who are watching have access to quality ABA therapy than had even 10 days ago. So uh, we are going to be talking about that a lot. And, and it was important to me to be able to pay forward what we learned um, and, and to do it in a way, I always think back to who I was on that day and what did I need? And I needed a forum in which I could ask questions and I needed a forum in which I could hear people ask questions so that I would know what question to ask. And I needed access to minds who understood this and that's really what we're about here is granting you that access for free to be able to ask those questions, to get answers. There's no tab at the end of this, uh, right? So utilize us in that way, but also pay it forward. Share it with other people, share the information, review us so that more people have the opportunity to see it, right? It's all good. Okay, so one of the things that we like to do every morning is start out with a little warm-up uh, that we refer to, refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take one word, one phrase, one acronym, and we try to make sense of it within the, you know, the terms that we actually understand, not the terms that we're supposed to learn for this jargon that's so intensive in the ABA community uh, and in the autism community. I'm stuck on ABA today because it's, uh, you'll see, it's, it is our jargon of the day. And, uh, and it's our jargon of the day for a very specific reason because as I was thinking over the break about what, you know, anytime a new year comes and um, we have the opportunity, anytime it's a new week, right? We have the opportunity to reevaluate what we're doing and say, what do I need to do better? And one of the things that really struck me over the break was, you know, I would say to you that last year, my whole mission was to let people know what ABA was and why it's so important that our kids have it. This year, I want to double down on that and make sure that people know what quality ABA therapy is. So our jargon today is, in fact, ABA. 
Uh, what does it mean? Because there are still people out there who go, everybody talks about this now, and I hear it, and I hear it on the news now, which is great. I'm thrilled that people are talking about it. But we need to understand what it is, and we need to understand it from a 2014 perspective, not a 1994 perspective, and certainly not a 1984 perspective. So uh, our actual definition of ABA, uh, ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. Now, it's good to know that, but your life won't end and you will not be denied services if you don't know what it stands for. But good to know, Applied Behavior Analysis. Our actual definition is the application of the principles of learning and motivation from behavior analysis. Oh, goody, that cleared it up. It employs procedures and technology derived from scientifically demonstrated principles of behavior to increase socially significant behaviors and decrease unwanted or inappropriate behaviors. Okay, not the worst definition that we'll run into, but it really doesn't clear it up for me if I really don't know what ABA looks like, uh, especially ABA for autism. So let's take a look at our working definition. Uh, ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis, is a proven method of increasing or teaching desired behavior and reducing unwanted behavior. Okay, so you've got a child with autism. And we'll talk about people who don't have autism in just a second and, and individuals who aren't children with autism. Um, so you've got a child with autism, though, and they, they're, you know, if you sit and talk with a parent and you say, or a teacher or a practitioner, what's going on with this child that isn't conducive to this child becoming their, you know, the fullest potential, reaching their fullest potential. And what you'll hear are a bunch of behaviors. Well, the child is biting their sister. They're hitting their head on the floor. Um, they're humming and flapping their hands and they won't make eye contact, right? There are so many different things that they could be engaging in behavior wise that become problematic. And it's only problem. Hey, there's nothing wrong with flapping your hands unless you can only flap your hands and you can't stop. And then it's problematic, right? Um, there's nothing wrong with humming and knocking, or, or, or humming and uh, rocking. I still hum and rock sometimes. Okay. And I'm not on the autism spectrum that we know of. Um, there's nothing wrong with those behaviors unless you're not able to stop it or you're not able to do something else at the same time. If all I could do was rock and hum, it would impede my ability to sign a check. It would impede my ability to do my job. It would impede my ability to have a conversation with somebody. So we want to decrease those behaviors and have more control over when and how they happen, right? And guess what? We can do that with ABA. We absolutely can. This is not a, oh, maybe we can reduce these behaviors. No, we can absolutely reduce these behaviors. That's not the only thing that happens because that behavior served a purpose, right? When I'm humming and rocking, it, in some way, it's to help me to cope. You wouldn't just take away my coping mechanisms, right? Uh, you shouldn't ever just take away somebody's coping mechanisms. And in ABA, and we're going to be talking about this a lot today, we don't ever just take away the behaviors. There, this is a science of saying, what's the function of this behavior? Ah, this is soothing the child. Let's find a better way to soothe this child. And then the child won't need to engage in this behavior when they don't need to. <gasps> right? 
very humane, very humane. Um, and how about if we increase other skills? If we look at a child who has autism and we say, is there a problem with this? Well, yeah, because the child isn't able to communicate or, okay, the child isn't able to have a friend or, you know, any one of a million things that you could say, this is what is holding this child back. Uh, and I know firsthand as a parent that my child wants to have friends. He desperately wants to have friends, but in the past, he was impeded by that, by his inability to understand social cues. So can we teach social cues to kids on the autism spectrum? Yes, we can. Can we teach a child how to ride a bicycle on the autism spectrum? Oh, you bet you. Can we teach a child to be able to communicate? Yes, we can. Uh, now, communication can look like a lot of different things, um, but we can teach a child to communicate. Can we also teach adults to communicate? Yes. Can we teach people who don't have autism using applied behavior analysis to do things that we want them to do? Yes. In fact, one of the things that we need to remember about ABA is that it was not invented for autism. It was, uh, ABA has been around, it's an age-old science, and it was used uh, to look at behaviors of all kinds for all kinds of people. Who uses ABA right now? Uh, a lot of people use it for autism, absolutely, and insurance companies in a lot of states, more, uh, more states will fund it than not here in the United States, but people also use ABA in businesses to be able to motivate their employees to get more done and be more productive. People, uh, Olympic coaches use ABA. As we get into the Winter Olympics, we're going to be talking about this a lot about, you know, how is ABA used in all these other ways? So it's not just for autism. And if you have a child who is not on the autism spectrum, who is behind and engaging in, let's say you have a 14-year-old who is mad at the world and, you know, they're punching um, the door of their their bedroom and hurting their hand and hurting the door. Can you use ABA to work on that? Yes. Yes, you can. Has lots of different applications. So really, really important for us. And in this year of 2014, when more individuals have access to ABA because more insurance is covering it and more states are mandating that it be covered, it is super duper important that we let the people who need access to ABA, who need to learn a new skill, or who need to reduce a behavior that's preventing them from access to other things to get quality ABA. And we're going to be talking today about what the difference is between ABA and quality ABA because herein lies the crux of everything. You want access to quality ABA. I wish that we didn't have to talk about that, but as more and more uh, providers are out there, you know, we're at a point where people are hanging out a shingle and saying, yeah, I do ABA for autism. And you can't just assume that they're good at it. Uh, so we'll, we're going to be talking about some ways that you can figure out if in fact they are. So that's our jargon for today, ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis. Okay. We always like to give you a question of the day. And uh, since this is our first show where we have a question of the day featured on the show, we wanted to take a second to talk about what are your goals for 2014? Whether you have a child who's on the spectrum or you yourself are on the spectrum, chances are you have some personal goals for yourself. Uh, what do you want to accomplish in this year of 2014? Boy, my list is long. <laughs> 
is really, really long. But I, uh, you know, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for us to talk about goals, how you set a goal, how we can accomplish those goals. Uh, and we are going to be talking about that today. But um, I know that for me personally, uh, it became very evident to me in December that I have to be more on it educationally with my son, that I, I, you know, we're in fifth grade right now and he's doing miraculously and he is a completely included fifth grader performing at or above grade level. Um, but last year in January, I met for the first time Temple Grandin and she really impressed upon me and sometimes takes me a while, right? I got to gear up and I've been arming up and gearing up, but I really see now in fifth grade how important it is that I've got to give my child more, more than what the school can give him. And I got to find schools that can give that to him. Um, and that I, that I really have to ignite the fire that is in him in the area that he is interested in. And I know that I'm lucky because I know what he's interested in. Um, but I, I need to give him the tools to get where he needs to get. And fifth grade is the perfect time to be thinking about that. I don't want to wait till he's in high school. And I, I did take a few minutes over the break to find the high school that I want my child to go to. Uh, more on that later. But uh, And then I realized, okay, now I got I to gotta figure out so now I know the high school I want him to go to. Now I have to give him, because junior high really starts next year for him, uh, or or the year after, depending on where we put him in school. But I, I gotta I gotta get him to the junior high that gets him ready for the high school that gets him ready for the college. So uh, that's one of my big goals this year is to be able to look at myself in the mirror next year and say, hey, I did a good job in terms of taking care of his educational goals. Um, I have a lot of personal goals too, because our goals are not just about our kids, right? But we'll, we'll be talking about all of that in the future, but I will check in on Facebook a little bit later on. I want to see what your goals are. And remember, when you share your goals on Facebook, you give somebody an opportunity to have an idea and go, oh my gosh, I want that too. I hadn't even thought about that, but I want that too. Uh, and that my friends, is, is when we really hold hands and help each other out. Okay, we always have a topic of the week. Uh, our week is short this week, so it's just today. So we're going to talk a little bit this today, this week, about New Year's resolutions, about how do we set them. Uh, we all know how to not hold them, right? Every year people talk about, oh, yeah, I had this New Year's resolution, but it just really didn't come to pass. So we've got some experts that are going to be with us today, and one in particular who is the queen of executive functions. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're going to be asking her about how we set goals and how we manage them and how we strengthen, use and strengthen our executive function skills to be able to achieve the goals that we set for ourselves in our New Year's resolutions. Some of the different things that we have going on during this show today, as I mentioned, the queen of executive functions, real progress with Dr. Adele. Uh, you're going to love this. It's going to expand your brain. Uh, we're going to be talking also with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, and we'll hopefully have a little bit of time to go over some of the things for this new year. I mentioned yesterday, I wrote a blog that is being featured on the Center for Autism dot com blog site and it is called the state of the state of autism 2014 putting the missing pieces together so uh it's sort of my vision for what needs to happen with autism in this year and as we move forward um 
And I mentioned that we are going to be talking this entire month is blog A-U-Rama. A -U -Rama. Uh, so we're going to be talking with a lot of bloggers and talking about bloggers. We've got some great bloggers coming up for you on Tuesday. We're going to have Liz Becker, who amazing author and an amazing blogger and an amazing mom, amazing teacher, amazing advocate. She's going to be with us and more throughout this month. If you have an autism blog or you love an autism blog, please write to us and let us know because we would like to feature that blog in this this month of January here on the show. All right, we are going to take a break and we're going to be back to kick this month off. Stick with us. Skills is an online program that provides assessment, curriculum, positive behavior support planning for challenging behavior, and progress tracking, and it does this all in one place. The Skills Assessment and Curriculum addresses eight areas of development, which even includes advanced higher level areas such as executive functions and cognition, which pretty much makes Skills the only ABA-based set of curricula for teaching more complex skills, things like problem solving, planning, self-management, perspective taking, and even inferring and predicting others' private events. Skills is a four-step system. Step one is to add the child to your account. Step two is to start assessment. The skills assessment is the only ABA-based assessment with psychometric research demonstrating the language subscale to have excellent reliability. Every area of human functioning and typical child development from infancy to adolescence was researched, making the skills assessment the most comprehensive of its kind in the world, and we're quite proud of that. Skills is easy to use. Simply click Start Assessment and begin answering questions, or simply type in a keyword find specific activities to assess, and add activities to treatment. Step three, choose activities. Once you've completed the assessment, Skills selects from a pool of 4,000 activities categorized by age, level, and skill type to provide you with exactly those activities each child needs. Start by choosing a curriculum, then a lesson, and finally an activity. Click the information icon to view prerequisites, ages in which targets develop, examples, and IEP goals. Click the video icon to watch a short video. Once you've identified an activity you want to teach, adding activities to treatment is a snap. Step 4. Start treatment. Here you can access customizable activity lesson details, add your own customized targets and exemplars, and edit an activity status such as introducing or mastering it. You can even print handouts such as worksheets, tracking forms, visual aids, and other materials. Skills also offers multiple progress charts, mapping curriculum progress, lesson progress, and cumulative number of activities and targets mastered over time. The Skills Language Curriculum is categorized by verbal behavior type so that users can identify progress for verbal operants, such as echoics, mans, tax, and interverbals. Skills is one of the only programs that provides the ability to write behavior intervention plans, or BIPs, for challenging behavior. With just a few clicks, the outline of the behavior intervention plan is written for you and ready to be printed and implemented. You can learn more about Skills today and get started by visiting us at www.skillsforautism.com or you can call us at 877-975-4559. Skills. Progress starts here.
Welcome back to Autism Live. A disappointing news story to feature for you today from the Autism Daily Newscast. The headline is, Autism Organization Closes After Funds Go Missing. Uh, this is featured today on Autism Daily Newscast from Victoria, Canada. The Autism Network Connection of Victoria, Canada has not reopened its doors in 2014. The organization is in the middle of getting its not-for-profit status, but has not opened its doors since January 1st of this year because several thousands of dollars have gone missing from the funds raised last year. The founder, Rosemary Penna Watts, who started the organization in 2012, has decided not to pursue criminal charges. Ms. Watts told The Advocate that she should have been more on top of the situation when it arose. According to the story reported uh, yesterday in the Victoria Advocate, a total of around $2,000 disappeared from a Walk for Autism Fund, a sponsored walk the organization organized during a sponsored 5K run. Several thousands of dollars of the total of $5,000 raised also disappeared. Mrs. Watts told reporter J.R. Ortega that the trouble started in September when a volunteer was suspected of stealing funds. She further adds that when the amounts collected were not matching up to the amounts shown on the bank records, she then began to question the person. When the volunteer was confronted by Ms. Watts, she denied the allegations. However, receipts that Rosemary found did show money from the account being used on the volunteer's groceries, diapers, and family trips. As a not-for-profit organization, employees and volunteers are asked to hold on to receipts of any expenditure and be completely transparent. Unfortunately, one of the volunteers with the organization did not do this, causing an anomaly, anomaly excuse me, in accounting. Uh, a really disappointing story to hear, uh, devastating that, that as a result, they're not going to be opening their doors. Uh, we are horrified by that. I, you know, somebody who I'm somebody who just got my purse stolen uh, last month, and you know, my feeling at that time was, you know, this is horrifying. But whoever took my purse has bigger problems than I have at this moment in time, having to, you know, take care of all the different things that I had to take care of. And while I agree with uh, Ms. Penna Watts that, uh, you know, when somebody is stealing money to get diapers and groceries, you know, that's that's something devastating but when it causes an entire organization to close it's time to take other action so we hope that they resolve this manner at matter and that they are able to reopen their doors to read this full story and more stories of this nature you can go to autismdailynewscast.com we are going to take a break and we'll be back with dr adele nadowski for real progress with dr adele stick with us When you find out you're having a boy, you always think like, oh, he's going to play football, he's going to do this and that. And then when he's diagnosed, all those things get washed away. It's like that piece that's always in the back of your mind, you know, where is he, what is he doing, is he safe? We really didn't know what we were dealing with. I wish that they could have directed me a little bit more and provided me some information. I was a young mom. I didn't know what it was like to raise a boy despite a boy with autism. Hundreds of thousands of families are not getting the help they need for their children with autism all around the country. ACT Today is determined to bridge the gap. 
These families really have to go through a lot to get a grant. The application process isn't easy. The records, the diagnosis proof, they're really battling for their kids. So when we can give them a grant, it is so wonderful to see that they succeed in getting that help for their children. Our founder, Dr. Doreen Grandpache, is an amazing woman, and she is one of the world's foremost authority on behavior of children with autism. She's extremely knowledgeable, and she oversees every single grant we give. She is part of that process. People may think of autism care and treatment as simply schooling or therapy, but you know, we provide important safety supports, things like fencing, for example. The whole family's living in fear of that child running out into traffic. I recently delivered an iPad to a little boy with some of the apps that are out there for children with autism. Miracles happen. I got the iPad from ACT. From ACT, What yeah. did it say? Can you repeat that, Dustin? I got the iPad from that. We have helped so many military families. And when I think of these brave families that are fighting two battles, one to protect our country and one for the right treatment and care for their children, it, it breaks my heart. And I think we have to do more as a nation to help them. There's not a day that doesn't go by that we don't think about it. Some people say, oh, he's normal. You don't see the battles that I see every single day. My husband does have to deploy, and when they get on that bus, that might be the last time that my kids ever see them. So I called, and then they informed me that he had received the grant, which was like a blessing from above. I was just like speechless. I just started to cry because, you know, without it, we would, we would have been lost. The AT grant was a total miracle, and without that, they wouldn't be able to receive a service dog, so we're so appreciative what they've done for us as a family. Recently, ACT Today funded a program for military children with autism in San Diego, the Inclusion Films program, which is run by Joey Travolta, and teaches uh, kids on the autism spectrum literal filmmaking skills. They learn how to make a movie. Are we ready? There you go, got it. Okay. Everything that goes into the process of making a film goes into everyday life. So they're learning life skills, they're learning to collaborate. It was really nice to know how much they were enjoying this camp. And they're with people who are supporting them and are making them feel great about themselves and their differences and their similarities. And I get two kids that are working together and apart and together and apart. So it's an interrelationship as well as a camp and a learning experience. It's so fulfilling when I get letters. One stands out for me, a, a boy who was 14 with Asperger's, and we gave him a grant to go to a drama camp. He wrote to us and said, Dear Act Today, thank you for letting me belong for the first time in my life. These kids are remarkable. You know, we underestimate them. They're so knowledgeable, they're so capable, and we can change the life of a family, which means changing the life of a community. Welcome back to Autism Live. I want to start by giving a shout out to our friends in Wisconsin who have written in to us and said good morning that it is so cold in Wisconsin. Uh, it's cold in the studio right now because of the air conditioning. <laughs> I couldn't help. I couldn't help it. 
<laughs> of course, we have uh, Dr. Adele Nadowski is here with us. We are in sunny California. It has been cold the last couple of days. Uh, I know, I know. She's no, gonna... it hasn't, actually. <laughs> well, um... relatively for Los Angeles. It wasn't shirt sleeve weather yesterday. Yeah. Um, but I, I tried to have it be shirt sleeve weather, and it was just a little too cold outside and had to put on a lightweight jacket. But I know, because I was raised in upstate New York, uh, that a lot of you are sick of it already and shoveling out and and I just have had enough of the cold. Yeah, it almost doesn't feel right to even like tell people what is going on over here. <laughs> I know. But one of my friends from New York was telling me um, about the temperature there oh. and I said, oh, it's 73 degrees here right yeah. now. And then he came back at me with, yeah, well, I just had the last two weeks off because I work for the school district. Yeah. And then <laughs> we were like battling back and forth with yeah. each other. It was pretty funny. It's, but It's terrible. I did a, a radio interview on Tuesday um, for a radio show called One in 88 in New York. And um, it's for the Hudson Valley, which is very close to where I grew up. And, and they were asking about the weather. And I said, well, you know, it's cold right now because it was 830 in the morning. And, and they said, oh, I'm disappointed. I said, you know, yeah, it's like a good 45 degrees and then she just laughed hysterically. <laughs> that is 45 hysterical. degrees is cold. Okay. Uh, in any case, I, I, before you were here in the studio, I mentioned that you are the queen of executive functions and our topic this, this week is new year's resolutions. And so I, I wanted to take a couple of minutes and have you talk about goal setting and executive functions because, uh, Dr. Nadowski is very experienced in the field of autism and was one of the co-creators of Skills. And I had the opportunity when I first began uh, doing the research for the show to sit down with her on a regular basis and talk about a wide variety of subjects uh, that will be covered in the book, Mornings with Dr. Adele, that, that will come out in 2014. Have you started it yet? I have uh, outlined. So it is started. Um, is that one of your New Year's resolutions? It is one of my New Year's <laughs> resolutions. And so what better? who better to talk about it? Because honestly, it was you taught me so much in that period of time but one of the most mind expanding things for me was talking about executive functions and we were talking about it uh, you know in terms of what the skills curriculum teaches right um, which you would think that would be just for kids who are on the autism spectrum that are younger than age eight and yet I read through that curriculum and worked through it with you and learned so much as an adult who's not on the spectrum so um, you you are like the queen of executive functions I'm sorry you'll Thank have you. to carry that for the rest of your life um, but what better thing could somebody call you uh, <laughs> Uh, you're very good at executive functions. So talk a little bit about what executive functions are and why being good at executive function skills is going to help us with our New Year's resolutions. Okay, great. So um, overall, executive function skills are things that we do to organize ourselves and to reach goals and to keep ourselves um, doing the things that we need to do every day. So it's even the simple things like um, making it to work on time, getting your kids to school on time, yeah. all the organizational planning, problem solving, um, making sure you're attending to the right things, you're not getting distracted. If there's problems that arise in the middle of it, you can solve those. You are flexible enough to come up with new um, alternatives. So it's all these different things that we do um, kind of on the side that make us successful at the normal things that we do every day. Okay, so it's not just about saying on a piece of paper, here's what my goal is. There are steps that we have to take and things that we have to keep checking while 
while we're taking yeah. it. I think that's where most of us fall down, is the checking and seeing, is this working? Am I being flexible? Or we meet an obstacle and we go, well, look, that's just not going to happen. Right. Um, and yet when we look at, and, and what really uh, enlightened me was a day when you sat in your office and you said, uh, you know, let's, let's take just going to a conference or something like that, all the things that you have to go through and all the different things that could get in your way and prevent you. And yet, you know, sometimes we're successful. And what are we doing in those times that we're successful that right. gets the job done? And how can we apply that to times when we haven't been successful? Right. That little light bulb over my head and I went, oh my goodness. Because I tend to say, well, I, you know, here are my big excuses. I just don't have time. I just don't have the ability. I don't have the resources. Um, or that's just how I am. I'm somebody who's late. That's just how I am, right? And we accept that right. about ourselves. I, I will tell on you a little bit that there was one day that you told me about the mom that you would see every morning driving to work who would be running with the stroller with her wet hair, with her child half-dressed, and, and be running up to the school to get her little kindergartner there on time. And you said, I look at her every day and I feel bad because doesn't she realize if she just got up 15 minutes earlier, she wouldn't have to do this? No, it was every single day. Yeah. And her poor kids would be running, too. Yeah. And so. I thought, oh, my gosh, because, you know, I am a little bit, I have been that woman in the past where I've been like, I just can't be on time. Yeah. Um, but you're looking at it in a very systematic way, saying, what do we need to change? Yeah. And to in order to reach um, your New Year's resolution, you need to be realistic with the goals that you're setting. Good so point. So first of all, what is the long-term goal and what is kind of a deadline? You need to come up with a deadline for yourself of what it is you're going to achieve and make sure that's actually even possible. And the way you're going to know if that's possible is if you break that down into further sub-goals. And if those don't seem achievable, then there's no way then this long-term one is going to be. Okay. Um, so, you know, for example, I know a big New Year's resolution is people want to lose weight. Yeah. If you say, I'm going to lose, you know, a ridiculous amount of pounds by a certain date, and literally that's not even physically, like, biologically possible, then you're already setting yourself up for a failure. Yeah. Um, and figuring out, okay, what are the certain behaviors that I'm going to need to do to reach each one of those individual goals? Sometimes it's also good to track your progress. Um, like, for example, um, we've been working on writing a book. And we knew that the deadline was a year away mm -hmm. and, that, and that the book was going to be 750 pages. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. That's and you want to get it done. And yeah. a year seems like a long time, but it, for 750 pages, I don't know. Right. So then we thought, okay, so we work five days a week. And there's this many weeks before the year deadline is up. Mm -hmm. So how many pages per day would we need to write? And we figured out it was 3.3 pages a day. Okay. Then we made a graph that showed a line. Like if you did 3.3 pages a day um, and you enter in how many pages you've done so far, you should be able to basically stay on the line. If you yeah. get below the line, you're behind. If you're above the line, you're ahead. Right. And we would do that like every day basically to keep ourselves on track. So we mentally felt good about our plan. And, you know, doing something like that, we know science has shown that being accountable is a big part of achieving a goal. Mm -hmm. And and also something that you mentioned before, being flexible. Because a lot of times we just get stuck someplace because we get we meet with an obstacle. So you've got a great plan, 3.3 pages, uh, you know, I'm going to have, and then something happens. And you don't like do your pages. The sprinklers come on and you didn't get to go to do your 
your pages that day right. and you go, well, that's not going to happen and you get off course. But when you've got the graph and you see that, then you see, okay, in order, I've got to change something. Yeah. I got to have a course correction here or I'm not going to get there. So on the next day, I'm going to have to do more pages or whatever. Right. Or maybe when you build your initial plan, you know that there's going to be days like that. That's part of the setting a realistic goal because we're not right. perfect, right? Right. And setting a buffer in there for that to happen occasionally or something right. like that. And then, and then you may discover, okay, after three weeks goes by and you've consistently not met your, met your deadline, you say, okay, we thought this was a reasonable amount, but it's maybe we not. Maybe need to rethink the whole thing. Maybe we need to, like, yeah, maybe we need to have it be a year and a half. Or may, to reevaluate the goal and the means of getting there, really important towards achieving Yeah, the goal. and figuring that out way in advance, not procrastinating until the end right. where you, you're basically going to fail. Another thing, though, that I think is good, because we're talking about New Year's resolutions, yeah. is there's this phenomenon called say-do correspondence. Ooh. And there's research on this in ABA. And basically what the research shows is that when um, you say you're going to do something to someone else, uh -huh. there's a higher likelihood that you actually follow through. So for example, like I am guilty of this. Sometimes I have personal goals, mm -hmm. like maybe about eating healthy or exercising or whatever. And because I'm aware of say-do correspondence, right. I'm not going to tell anyone my goal because if I fail, <laughs> then I look like a failure or I don't want, you know, like I'm just not committed, I guess. Okay. What's <laughs> the pressure? Yeah. But if you really are committed and you want it to happen, telling another person or other people what your goal is and saying, I'm going to do this is going to set you more up for success as well. There is research to show that. There you go. So, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Phil calls that you have to name it to claim it. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know how I always end up uh, <laughs> quoting Dr. Phil, uh, but he says you have to name it to claim it. And I think that is a big part of it. If you're going to say that you're going to do something and then let the world know, but make sure that it's realistic yeah. before you announce it to the world. Yeah. Because uh, I think that can be a bad thing if it's, if it's not realistic. But, you know, that accountability factor and checking and tracking the progress. Yeah. So absolutely key. And when you tell other people about your goal, what that sets up is this thing where you, do, you don't want to be embarrassed because you're not doing what you said you were going to do or feeling a little bit almost like a liar or like you don't have any integrity or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then plus, then you set them up to like provide you praise and stuff when you do make little goals and they see that you're yeah. doing it like, wow, you're really doing great. And you set them up to punish you a little bit when you don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, true. hey, I thought you said you were going to do this and you haven't. You yeah. Know? So. And then how about building in something that else, you know, sometimes if people uh, have a goal that they want to lose weight, having a dress and an event that they want to wear the dress to, that okay. they've got to fit it at that point, that that becomes sort of like the carrot to the reward for doing yeah. it yeah um, you know or and there are lots of different things like that that and you can set that in general I um, think self-reinforcement is something you could add in so obviously when you have these goals and um, you're trying to reach them you're going to be self-monitoring the entire time so yeah. evaluating am I reach what am I doing am I doing the behaviors necessary to start to reach each of these individual goals and then did it work? Did it not work? What should I do differently? Readjusting the plan, but maybe also adding in some sort of reinforcer that you know is there and you say, if I meet the goal, then I get to do this. Yes. And also some people have done um, things like set up an aversive contingency for themselves. If I don't meet the goal, then I have to donate money to this um, group of people that I hate or something like that. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. 
<laughs> right. We, we know people that have done that before that have said, I, I really disagree with this, this group, but I'm going to donate $100 to them if I don't meet this and goal. And you hate it so much yeah. that you're going to do the now, whatever's necessary. That would not work for me because <laughs> I would be justifying and go, I'm not giving them the money. I don't, you know, I'm not, I, I, that would not work for me. Right. I am somebody who really works better with the reward. With the, I'm better with the carrot than the stick. Yeah. Um, so you know, but everybody's a little bit different. So, uh, really remarkable. So we hope that you will name your, what are your new year's resolutions and that you'll find a way to have, be accountable, that you'll have this say, do correspondence, name it, claim it, say that you're going to do it and, and then track whether you're doing it. Yeah. And don't forget to really set yourself up for success with a reasonable goal. Like, okay things that are achievable so you feel success immediately yes so important because if you fail right off the bat sometimes people just throw their hands up in there and say i'm not doing it yes. anymore. yes okay so very key all right we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and have dr nadowski answer a frequently asked question for us stick with us Hi guys, welcome back to Smarty. It's January and a whole new year has gone by. To commemorate that, Autism Live and Smarty have decided to give you a template to make your very own time capsule. The materials you'll be needing are glue, a jar, photos, keepsakes, pen, and a template you can print from facebook.com slash autismlive. Here's the template that I've printed out from our Facebook page. Depending on the skill of your child, they can do this independently or you're gonna help them fill out all the questions. Once you have finished filling out the time capsule sheet, I've left two spaces on the top, one for a school photo, one for a family photo. Feel free to glue an image there. Now that I've glued the photos onto my sheet, now I'm gonna grab my jar and start filling it up with all the things I would wanna remember from the year that just passed. I would say include photos, mementos, toys, things that are gonna be really important to you at this time and moment that you'll be excited to see later in the future. Once you're done filling up your jar with all the things that were important to you for the year 2013, you're gonna to wanna to seal it up. And it's up to you for how long you wanna keep it locked up. Time capsules are a great way to remember where you have been and where you're going. So I hope you really enjoy this activity and until next time, craft on guys. Can you see me flying by your side? Welcome back to Autism Live. Our very special guest here in the studio with us is Dr. Adele Nadowski. And our question for her is, does ABA work for high functioning kids? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. Um, ABA, as, which stands for Applied Behavior Analysis, is the science of behavior and its application towards something that is meaningful to anyone. So basically what that means um, in plain English is that we know how to teach things. We have a science of learning. So it doesn't really matter um, if you're low functioning, high functioning, whatever it may be, if you have something to learn, and this even includes um, typically developing children and adults, um, and this could be any behavior change that they want to make whatsoever in their life. Um, so obviously high functioning individuals with autism have things to work on, social skills a lot of times, um, perspective taking, keeping themselves organized. So whatever that may be, we can 
applied behavior analysis towards that goal and we can absolutely teach. Now, do we take the same approach we would take with a lower functioning child? Maybe not. And I think that's where there might be some confusion because sometimes ABA is considered synonymous with and this is incorrect, by the way, but some people think that ABA is the same thing as DTT, or what is called discrete trial teaching. And so they say that's not going to be appropriate for a higher functioning child. And I would say um, I probably would agree with that a lot of times, but there's other types of teaching procedures within the ABA umbrella that will work for them. For example, doing things in the natural environment and using natural environment training. So. Um, Given that, if we just remember what ABA is, which is the science of learning and um, being able to teach people things, then we should be able to teach anyone anything that they need to learn, including those high-functioning individuals. Wonderful answer. Thank you so much. We're going to take another break, and we'll be back with Dr. Adele Nadowski to talk about the launch of the BIP Builder that happened today. You won't want to miss this. Stick with us. What do you think about ABA treatment? ABA is the one that's documented, but I think that's what I think is important with little kids, the intensity. If this kid's two, three, and four years old, he needs 20 or 30 hours a week of intensive early intervention, working one-to-one -one with an effective teacher. Mm -hmm. And an effective teacher knows kind of how just hard to push, because you've got to stretch these kids. Mm -hmm. If you don't stretch them somewhere, they don't advance. Mm -hmm. You push them on them too hard, they go into sensory shutdown. The worst thing you could do with an autistic two-year-old is to do nothing with them and just let them sit there rocking. And when I was very young, at two and a half, ABA-type things were used on me, but it wasn't called ABA in that day. You know, my teacher would hold up a cup and she'd speak slowly. You've got to speak slowly to these kids because there's auditory processing problems. She'd say cup. And then I'd say cup and, and the teacher would praise me. You know, that's very similar to ABA. You know, ABA in its, um, you know, original form is a little kid's program. The whole idea is you're trying to get language jump-started. And I like the more flexible kinds of ABA. You've got different levels of kids. Mm -hmm. um, once, I mean, I had ABA type stuff when I was young, mm -hmm. but then after I pulled out of it, I didn't have to go through elaborate things of getting ready for school. I still have this habit now today. I lay my clothes out the night before that I'm going to wear, mm -hmm. so when I'm sleepy, I can just get them on. And then you have other individuals where they've got to do very structured, you know, uh, you know, breaking down the task analysis. This is where after you get out of the little kids and you get them talking, they kind of diverge into yeah. different levels of functioning. And a type of ABA program that'd be suitable for a very severe kid would not be something you'd want to do with a mild Asperger kid because you're going to bore them to death and make them hate school. Absolutely. Welcome back to Autism Live. Our very special guest here in the studio with us is Dr. Adele Nadowski. She was one of the co-creators of Skills. And today, the Skills BIP Builder launched, which is a yes. very exciting day. Yes. Uh, we talked about this a little bit yesterday with uh, Dr. Doreen Grampuche, but tell our viewers what the Skills BIP Builder is. Um, the Skills BIP Builder is um, a tool that allows you to um, come up with uh, assessment and plan and data tracking for challenging behavior. So um, the way that it works is it's all online mm -hmm. and you log into an account and you enter in a child's information. Then um, it allows you to fill out an indirect functional behavioral assessment, the CIFA, which is the card indirect functional assessment. Mm -hmm. It asks 35 questions about the challenging behavior. Then based on how you answer those, it provides a um, hypothesized uh, reason or function that the child is, um, why they're engaging in that behavior. And then um, 
it's important to note that the CIFA is just one critical component of conducting a thorough functional behavioral assessment, though it's also good to do direct observation and other methods. But once you have that figured out, the next step of the Skills VIP Builder is to um, go in and collect baseline data. So it actually allows you to put in the data uh, for the challenging behavior during baseline before you've started the treatment. And then it takes you to the next step, which is to build the behavior intervention plan. And to do that, it just asks you what was the function. So you can use what you determined during your functional behavioral assessment. You put that in, and then it asks you some questions about what components you'd like to include in the BIP. Everything it presents you with is evidence-based, and so we know that the options it's giving will work and be effective for that uh, particular function of that challenging behavior. Um, you then can save your BIP, print it, use it with your team, um, and then you also, the last step of using the Skills BIP Builder is to enter in your data once you've started the treatment. Um, and it produces all these beautiful graphs and it's able to show you, uh, here's the challenging behavior before treatment during baseline, then you wrote this BIP, and now here's the challenging behavior since you started the treatment. So you can evaluate if your BIP is actually working or not. And if it's not, then of course you can go back and make more adjustments, and again, start tracking again. So you can show progress and whether or not um, it's actually working. An incredible tool. It is part of the skills uh, program, but you can now, as of today, get it separately on its own. Yes, it is now being, um, it has hit the market as a, its own tool because uh, some people don't need all the other things that the skills mm -hmm. program gives. Skills has many, many other things in there. So um, this is very specialized just for challenging behavior. Okay. And I want to I want to go through three quick examples of how how useful this tool could be. So I want to start with an example of if there's an ABA provider and they're working with a child and so if somebody's out there and they're an ABA provider and they're working with a child uh, how can the BIP builder make them more effective and more efficient in, in creating a right intervention for a behavior if they're a professional? Okay, so that would be someone like me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so before the Skills BIP Builder existed, I would go out and do my own FBA and um, write my own report. Mm -hmm. All that takes time. Mm -hmm. um, this does a lot of the work for you. Um, by making it simpler, so I, w I save time. Then I would um, sit down and write my BIP, which again, I have to even just take the time to think of all my options and what might be good or what's mm -hmm. evidence-based and this and that. This gets rid of all of that because it just kind of is almost like a checklist right. of like, here's all the things we know will work for that particular right. function. It weeds through all of it yeah, and says, and then, here's what's effective, pick what you want. Yes. So. It's like I'm thinking, wow, I should have just done that a really long time ago, like wrote my own list so yeah. that I didn't have to think about it for so long. Right. And then once you choose the ones you want, it writes the BIP for you. So again, that's all that time I would have spent writing it up. And it leaves fill in the blanks for you to put in specifics Yeah. so that you can spend your time only worrying about the very minute details, not the overall plan. And then... Um, so for me, as a professional, why this would be useful is that it saves me lots of time. It gives me a place where everyone else on the team can also log in and see the information. We can, um, you know, communicate about what's going on much easier. You can provide services at a distance. Yeah. Also. And it, and it's actually been shown. There's research, uh, and we've and we've done a whole segment with Dr. Tarbox. There's research to show that with professionals, it makes you write a better BIP, a more effective yes. BIP. We so, did publish that study this year. Yeah. So. So actually, um, it was a randomized controlled trial, and in that study, we showed that it made the. Um, 
VIPs more function-based than they were prior. And this was with people who'd already been trained okay. and were professionals so providing services. It's going to make them more effective, more efficient. Now let's move on to an example of a teacher. There's a teacher who's got a child who's in the classroom who's engaging in a behavior, and it's challenging behavior, and the teacher is sitting there wanting to pull their hair out and say, I wish I knew what to do to intervene in this behavior so that this be I could change this behavior and have a little bit more control over my classroom. So for that teacher... They could use the skills BIP builder and be able to do that card indirect functional assessment uh, to figure out what the function of behavior is and then create a plan themselves to intervene in that behavior. Yes, they could do that. Um, one thing that we I want to mention is that the CIFA is in beta test right now. Okay. So we don't yet have research to show that our indirect assessment is accurate or any of that kind of stuff. Um, so we have to remember that it's one component of an overall FBA. So it would probably be a good idea for the teacher to do additional observation as well or get another person to do it who's familiar Absolutely. with that. Be clear on what your function is before you move on. But remember the CIFA is just one small component of the skills BIP yeah. builder. The BIP builder is actually the really meaningful meat of this program. Well, and a lot um, of times, and I and, and I spoke a little out of turn, but a lot of times the school will have a BCBA look at the behavior, um, and so that the teacher wouldn't even have to worry about that part of it. But the, they, you know, yes. when the when the um, BCBA who is on staff looks at it and says, "Here's the function of the behavior." The teacher really can be effective yes. in with the with the skills BIP builder to create an intervention that will work in their classroom. Used to be that a BCBA would say, "Here's the intervention," and most times teachers would say, "This won't work in my classroom. You don't have an understanding of how my classroom works." Now the teacher can really be effective and say, "You know, if they're given four choices of here are the things that have been shown to be effective in this behavior, the teacher can sit there and say, "This one is capable of working." in my classroom. Yes. And the nice thing is that the teacher doesn't have to try to come up with ideas of what might work right. and maybe make the mistake of choosing something that actually really wouldn't work for that function. Everything given to them should work, so they just need to choose the ones that they think are capable of being entered and they can customize it and so I think it's really great because it guides them through the process and I think it's going to, it could have a major impact for teachers. Absolutely. This is like huge for them. So absolutely really exciting. And then my third example is being a parent. And I've talked before on the show about how I use the BIP builder to go into my child's IEP and compare it with the BIP that was created by somebody at the school to say, mm -mm, this one isn't going to work. But I also think too, Dr. Nadowski, and correct me if I'm wrong, by having access to this as a parent, it really empowers us. And I think about, you know, it's so important for us in the home to be consistent um, at, with what we do when we're intervening in a behavior. Yeah. And just the other day, and I'm going to take it to this example, my husband and I were having a discussion about we have a dog, and obviously dogs are different than children, but sometimes, you know, we can we can talk about how things uh, work in the same way. And I have an intervention that I am doing for our dog when I run the vacuum cleaner. What because she loses <laughs> her mind, right, before... I run the vacuum cleaner, I get the vacuum cleaner out and I give her a treat and I talk to her and calm her down and then I plug the vacuum cleaner in and I say to her sit and I'm very firm with my sit, she sits, I turn on the vacuum cleaner and I know that within seconds she's going to charge the vacuum cleaner and lose her mind and try to attack the vacuum cleaner. So before she does that I praise her for sitting really nicely and I take the time to pet her then I very slowly start to vacuum and every like 10 to 30 seconds depending on how she's 
doing on that day, I praise her for, for doing this. Now, my husband saw all this and was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that, you know, because I run the vacuum cleaner, I have to lock her up outside between three doors because she loses her mind. And so he plugged the vacuum cleaner in and talked to her and gave her a treat and everything and pet her. And then he started vacuuming. The dog was doing so well that he continued vacuuming. Forgot <laughs> the part of, I need to praise her every 10 to 30 seconds. And the dog lost her mind. He says, clearly this doesn't work, right? I'm wanting to do a BIP on the behavior to say, you're leaving this part out, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking about how effective it would be dealing with your spouse sometimes when you've got the actual thing in front of you to say, honey, you're doing great on these three things, but here's this other component that's really essential and important. Yeah. And we have to be consistent on this or, or I know in my heart that if we were doing this every time we vacuumed, we would be done with this by now. Right. But I vacuum and the dog is fine. And then my husband vacuums and the dog is fine for three minutes and then loses her mind. <laughs> and then I have to go back to the drawing board each time. Yeah, I get it. And it's I love my husband, thing. but you know, we did this with our child as well. Yeah. And with the BIP builder, you know, you have the thing and you can talk with your spouse and say, here's what the intervention is. Yeah. Or as a parent, if you're dealing with the school, you can come in there too with your own uh, educated recommendations and ideas and yes. you can feel empowered. That's it. I mean, I'll tell you, that skills BIP builder empowered me in so many different ways as a parent, changed the IEP process for me. So, uh, you know, I, I just want people to understand that there are so many different functions of this, whether you're the professional, the teacher, or the parent, um, this can be very effective. Now, here's another thing, though, about it that's very key. Okay. Um, you can do your FBA and you can come up with a VIP and you can implement that for the challenging behavior, but how do you know if it works? Mm. Do you just talk about it with your husband? Hey, how's everything going? You think it's working? Yeah, yes. no, whatever. Probably not. I don't think so, right? Because we just, we just, we do talk think about, about this though for a second. Yeah. Have you ever had a day with your child where they had like one massive meltdown and you interpreted that as an awful day? Yeah. All the time. But had you collected data on it and compared no. it to the three days before, you might have realized that it really is still on the on the decrease mm. compared to where things were. It was just such a bad meltdown that yeah. to you it ruined the whole day. Right. But compared to the days before where there was maybe three or four tantrums, right. maybe they just didn't seem as serious yeah. or something, you would say, this isn't working, I'm not doing this anymore because Good that point. one was just so bad you couldn't handle it. Yeah. When in reality, if you had a visual that showed... Okay, we had five tantrums, five tantrums, three tantrums, and this is the day I'm saying was the most worst day. Yeah. It's actually decreasing, isn't it? Yeah. But you don't see it like that because you're thinking about it subjectively. So you have to track data to see what's actually happening. Yeah. And, and, and the thing that's great is that you guys keep making it easier for us to track the data because that's well, really the issue. And that's the key thing that I'm saying the Skills BIP yeah. Builder offers as well. So yes. it's really nice because you cannot know if your intervention's working if you don't keep track of what it's doing to the challenging behavior. Do not rely on your subjective experience or evaluation of whether or not it's working. Well, and also, going back to the example of, of my dog, I could, I, if I charted it and saw that when I vacuum there, you know, the dog barked once and that when my husband vacuums that the dog barks 32 times. And then the next time that I do it after that, the dog barked 22 times, right? I would be able to say, look, the, what you're doing is affecting this and it's affecting what I'm doing and, actually, and it would be clear. <laughs> yeah. 
Or even it could be something like when I'm with the dog, there's one bark, you're 33, then it's back down to one and back up to 33. That's yeah. basically like a reversal. <laughs> when we you do know. the intervention, it works. When we don't do the intervention, it doesn't work. When we right. do the intervention, right. it works again. When, but also when what we do, do the intervention working? as written, <laughs> think about that with your child going to school that, you know, if you have the BIP and it's clear and it's working and you're graphing it, um, you know, and everybody's following through on it as written, how many times have we all as parents come up with a plan and then you know maybe the teacher is doing it but the lady in the lunch line didn't follow through with the last part well, of it right and what you've keyed in on there is something very important which is that you can have an intervention that actually theoretically is working if it was done correctly right and so sometimes you think it's not working we have to adjust it but don't just jump to that before yeah. doing that check the team is everyone actually doing what yeah. they're supposed to be doing so look for treatment integrity like is it present or not and if it's not then you need to do more training first before you start changing the intervention because the intervention might be fine yeah now here's my big question to you and I should have asked you this beforehand because um, somebody had written in and said where can we get the the skills BIP builder um, do it, we go to the skills site to get it nope it's got its own site yeah it's, okay um, skills BIP okay skills BIP great yes uh, and you can check it out it is active today we're gonna say goodbye to Dr. Nadowski thank you for being here and answering all of our questions about this and we will see her back here next Thursday you Used to be Friday, now it's Thursday. Uh, make notes on that. Uh, but we're going to take a break and go to the A Word. This is the ongoing documentary being made by the Center for Autism and Related Disorders following Jack Riley, a little boy who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. Now, this week we've gone back to the very first episode so that you can see where J Jack Riley was on the first day that they filmed him and where his parents were on the first day that they filmed them. You have the ability to watch the whole series on its very own YouTube page, but check out if you've been watching the show on a regular basis, you'll be amazed to see how far Jack Riley had come by watching where he started. This is the A word. Wow. Sand. Does that feel funny in your hands? Do you want to go swing? Jack Riley. Looking. Thank you. I accept that he has sensory issues. I completely accept that he has speech delays. All of the symptoms and the things that lead up to the word autism, I have no problem accepting that. I have no problem um, addressing that and being aggressive about it and making those things happen. It's the word itself that I have a hard time with, um, mostly because of my perception. And, and I imagine the perception of a lot of people that autism is... I don't have my maple syrup either. I'm going to be without my maple syrup and my, and my toothpicks. It's um, all these images that you see, you know, even when they put a child on, on TV, it's a child who's so severe and doesn't hug his parents. And, and because our, our son does that, it's just hard for me to, to make that leap. Um, and then logically, I get it. It's a big spectrum and it's just a, a personal it's hard for me to say the word because you don't you don't want to have no one admit anything it makes it it makes it real to say the word we knew it even before to a certain extent um you know he would line up cars and i'd walk on the knuckles of his toes a lot i mean i remember even having conversations saying like 
I'm sure he walks on the knuckles of his toes. I'm sure he lines up his, his toys. <laughs> yeah, the more times you say, oh, sure, then you find, eventually you've got to draw a circle around those and say, okay, what does that add up to? So we, we always notice that. We, he didn't point. He never pointed, never pointed, although we didn't realize that until we went through this process. If our yeah. pediatrician had asked us, you know, eight, That's, nine months yeah. ago, does your son point? We would have known a lot right then. We decided last fall to get Jack Riley tested for speech delay. We noticed that he wasn't saying a lot. He didn't say mommy, he didn't say daddy. He was a little different when we would take him out in public. So we contacted the regional center to get him evaluated for speech delay in my mind. And that was the worst I thought it would be. So when they told us autism, I think that word was far worse than we ever expected. Yeah, I, re I remember I kicked the garbage can when we were outside. <laughs> my foot hurt. I remember that. Okay, but that wasn't a very good day. How how were they with letting you know that was the diagnosis? I guess in my recollection, and this is uh, me projecting quite a bit, but uh, they were they pitied us. Yeah, it was it was uh, uncomfortable. Um, and they're, they're talking sort of like I was twelve years old or something like that. Who knows how to deal with that kind of stuff? I mean, even if you're a professional and that's what you do all the time, I don't know. You don't know the people you're telling very well. There was a lot of the head shaking. And, you know, he's still the same beautiful child that you came here with, but yet they're sitting there like they're they just giving us a death sentence. Yeah, it's almost, it was almost like they just told us he had cancer or something. So I don't, I, I don't know if I'm reading that in or I, I don't think that I like them that much. <laughs> I still don't think I do. And we didn't love that process either. They we, they brought him in there and, and gave him 45 new toys and said he's more interested in the toys than he is in us. We Strange thought, we people thought that what, he never met. We thought what kid wouldn't be. But, um, but then in retrospect, in the hour and a half, two hours that he was there, he never once showed us one of the toys. He didn't come to us to engage us in any of it. And actually they did us a favor because we would have fought it. I mean, just in our heads we would have fought the autism diagnosis. We didn't. We wouldn't have, if had they told us that he's fine, we would have left and got him speech therapy and that's, that would have that's been probably it. probably yeah, yeah. We're, we're pretty numb about all of this. I mean, it, it, we found out November 2nd, it's four months. It's also kind of a morning period, so I think we went, we went very numb for a while. Yeah. Uh, but we're coming out of that now too, where we're starting to, you know, click that there are things that we can do. I mean, I think for the, the unfortunate part, for a while was that we were both thinking, um, come and help us, everybody, please. Mm -hmm. You know, we have this thing that we don't know how to deal with it and, you know, time to take it, come and help us, tell us, and, and now we're just kind of do it ourselves and, and we're the ones who know it best and, you know, we can take all this information that people tell us and then we can adapt it to what we know will work for him. And, and he's he's already responding. It's, yeah. it's slow, but... I, I personally forgot, forgot for a while to enjoy him. I just took care of him Absolutely. all day and uh, I wasn't having fun. Now I, I'm back to just how cute he is and how incredible that little thing he just did is and that smile and that the joy he gets out of one simple little thing. And uh, But for a while there I forgot to do that. I just was getting through the day. Um, maybe you didn't want to notice. Maybe I didn't want to notice things because a lot of the points of it. The A word, autism again. 
there's no one to talk to about it because even when you bring up the idea that's possible like your your family members no he's fine they want to help you say no and deny it he seems fine he's just you know my son didn't talk to me he was three and a half and yeah a lot of people that's that so, was part of why we didn't even have him evaluated until we did because a lot of people would tell us that you know, and everyone tells me their son didn't speak until he was three and a half and wasn't potty trained until he was four and and uh, so you know my kid normal well, it's easy to deny it but we're not denying it anymore I ordered a pair of earrings and they were puzzle pieces because my son liked puzzles and I thought this is in honor of my son, I'll wear these earrings, they had the right colors and I thought this is great and we were probably two, two days away from going to this diagnosis and I'd done enough research to know what they might say and it occurred to me that puzzle pieces were symbolic of autism and I was like, oh, I have to send them back, <laughs> this is terrible, I can't believe I've ordered autism earrings and didn't wear them for months. Uh, they sat there, I looked at them every day, and I thought I'm going to put these earrings in today and, and accept it and move forward. And couldn't do it, couldn't do it. thought I can't wear them to OT because they'll think I'm just wearing autism earrings to, you know, make a statement. And I finally started wearing them probably, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. So, I guess that means I'm getting used to the idea. I see it in adults now. Uh, I'm very conscious of it. Maybe it helps to just think everybody has a little bit. We were getting Jack a haircut a few weeks ago. We, we still say the A word instead of autism. I'll say A word, and you A word. And this, well, that was for real though. That, no, that, was, that was real. This well, this 15 year old kid walks in and Toy Story 3 is on and there's little kids getting their hair cut, sitting on chairs and animals and whatever. And he starts talking out loud to whoever would listen, to, saying how much money Toy Story 3 had made and, and it's the largest grossing in history and blah 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 and blah 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 and then he goes okay I'll see you guys later and he walked out and I go hey word and she goes oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. so at least we we're at we got a little sense of humor about it now are you watching daddy dance <laughs> Welcome back to Autism Live. Again, that was the A word. You have the ability to watch this entire series over two years worth of footage now on their YouTube page and see how far that little boy has come from that moment in time and how far those parents, that family has come. Um, and to go through, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, how they got from there to where they are now and where they're still going at this moment in time. So you can go to their YouTube page and watch that. We, of course, like to feature one episode per week here on the show and talk about it a little bit sometimes, um, some of the different aspects of the show. Really interesting to me now as I've gotten to know this family and and to see, honestly, how far those parents have come from that, that first moment when even being able to say the word autism was overwhelming. And now they're amazing advocates for their child and for other children. Um, really is truly inspirational. So uh, do check that out. I just checked on the Facebook page. We talked a little bit about how we, you know, it's time of year where we all have these resolutions. And we asked you today what your goals were for 2014 and really struck by somebody wrote in and said, uh, an adult transition program and more independence for their child, teaching him safety hard when there is no concept of fear or danger. There are two resources that I want to talk to you about briefly um 
that uh, Lost in Public is a video done by the Aut Autism Research Group. And if you go to YouTube and just type in Lost in Public, you will find that video. And it is a short video to teach parents skills to give our children in case they are lost in public. Things to teach them so that if they do get lost, um, that they will have skills. This is going to be good for any individual of any age to be able to know what the, especially if there is no fear and there is no sense of danger, to give them the skills to be able to be reunited with you. Um, and I understand that we're talking about somebody who is significantly older, um, but if they don't have those skills, we need to teach them no matter what age. And then the other video that I want to make you aware of, uh, our good friend Emily Island, who will be on the show next Wednesday during Let's Talk autism with Shannon and Nancy. Emily is a parent of a young man who is on the autism spectrum who has successfully transitioned to adulthood and is living on his own with a girlfriend. Uh, yes, I said it. <laughs> And so Emily is a great resource. Emily has been a, an autism advocate uh, for many, many years and is also the president of Autism Society of Los Angeles. And she made a movie last year called Be Safe the Movie. You can find her on Facebook under Emily Island. It's spelled Island without the S, I-L-A-N-D. And um, Be Safe the Movie, it is something that you can uh, purchase and I believe download or have the DVD sent to you. It is um, a great great tool for teaching safety issues to kids on the autism spectrum. It features all of the actors are individuals who are on the spectrum and real police officers are used. And it is really meant for, I think, kids who are a little bit older. Um, but I will tell you that with my 10-year-old, I watched it and then talked about some of the scenes in the movie with him because I think he's just a little too young uh, to actually watch it. But in particular, there is one scene where they show uh, a young man who goes into a store and buys something uh, and leaves the store and he's dressed in a certain way on a skateboard and um, at the same time at another drugstore uh, somebody dressed very similar goes in and robs the store. The We see the police getting the information about uh, what the individual is dressed like and we see them misidentify the child on the spectrum, child, he's a teenager, um, and pull him over with guns drawn and ask him to sit on the curb. And it it took my breath away, but they talk about it and they show you from the police perspective, they show you from the kid who is on the spectrum's perspective, they show you each and every person's perspective about what happens and how you need to react in the situation. My blood ran cold because I thought, if, if I were there and police drew a gun on me and said, get down, I would freak out. And then I thought about what would my son do and how badly it could go south really quickly. Um, but they showed, you know, here's what you need to do. If the police are there and saying this to you, you need to put your hands in a certain position and you need to do exactly, and you need to not be afraid because it's all going to be okay. Um, and there, so there is that story and so many others And Be Safe, the movie, want to encourage you, if you've got a child who does not have a sense of fear or danger, to watch that 
movie with them because even if there is no fear or danger, we can teach the skills that are important to keep our kids safe. And that's exactly what that video is for, Be Safe, the movie. And again, Lost in Public from the Autism Research Group. And hopefully that can help you to reach your goal this year of teaching your uh, young adults how to be safe. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox is going to be with us. He is the head of the Autism Research Group. So stick with us. twins, Justin and Jessica, were premature babies, so we always were very conscientious of their development. But I think it was probably 15 months, Justin started getting really obsessive compulsive with opening and closing doors. And Justin started tantruming a lot too. These would be major tantrums that were just completely debilitating to the family. Having to take them out of the house, put them in the car, drive around just to calm him down. Yeah, I remember a breaking point and just thinking, you know what, we gotta do something, this is not right. Once we were on the track to getting a diagnosis for autism, we started sharing that with our close friends and family. It just so happens that somebody from our older daughter's private school called us out of the blue. She introduced herself and she says, I know that recovery is possible. Those words so early in our journey were a guiding force for us. As we got more educated in knowing what is effective therapies for kids with autism, we realized quality ABA is vital to that progress. That's where we decided that CARD was the right provider for us and for our son. Justin responded very well to therapy. The behaviors were tracked and we saw that what was being instituted was working. Justin, what are you doing? You are coloring, good for you. There was real progress and there was progress that was tangible. I just remember when he, he made a sentence, he said a sentence, we were just happy about it, going, no way, I can't believe you just did that. What's the date? The 18th. 18th of what month? December. Oh, what year is it? 2007. Oh, okay, so how old are you today then? The therapies that CARD did for Justin didn't just impact his daily living skills, but it was a positive impact on our entire family. I'm Justin. I am in fourth grade. I like playing video games sometimes. My dream to build a teleporter machine. Like sometimes if like we're on an airplane and it's like really long, you guys just say, oh, hurry up with that teleporter machine. I'm waiting on you. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I just started Friday Night Lights. This is our third game of the season, and um, it's pretty fun. You have to be fast. We attribute so much of Justin's recovery to CARD. Their goal was the same as our goal. We wanted Justin recovered. June 12, 2008 is a day that I celebrate every year because that is the day that Justin was deemed recovered from autism. And Dr. Doreen Grandpiche met with us, looked at him and just said he's brilliant. 
You need to keep his mind stimulated because he's very smart and he has no residual traits of autism. Welcome back to Autism Live. Our very special guest in the studio with us right now is Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. As I mentioned before the break, he is the head of the Autism Research Group. I was just mentioning that you have a great video, Lost in Public, mm, that's out you. for people who are concerned. You know, we want always want to be ahead of things. That's we don't right. want to wait until our child is lost and say, oh my gosh, I should have taught this. Um, and this video is a great video for teaching these kinds of skills. This is exactly the kinds of things that you guys do. It's that's stuff right. that we really, really need as parents. Yeah, and your viewers should know that that video applies equally well to typically developing kids. It doesn't necessarily have to be kids on the spectrum. The only difference there is maybe uh, kids who aren't on the spectrum are going to require a few less rehearsal trials or whatever, or a little yeah. bit less time to learn the skill, maybe. Um, but a lot of typically developing kids really honestly don't know what to do when they get lost in public, and they yeah. end up doing things that are dangerous, like going with strangers yep. or just standing in one place crying and screaming or, you know. Yep. Um, so a lot of kids could really uh, benefit from learning that. And I think I mentioned before that a couple of weeks ago we had Matt Asner who is the head of Autism Speaks Southern California and um, he had just lost his child right. who's on the autism spectrum at the LA car show and uh, his child did really well um, but he said not because I taught him these skills it was just luck yeah. he, it was just luck and he said because I, I said had you taken the time to teach these kinds of things and he said no I'm embarrassed to admit that I hadn't but you know I, this really taught me about how important it is to make sure that they do have these skills. Right. Um, so just a reminder to all of us, don't be the person who says, why didn't I teach this later on? It's free, lost in public, go on YouTube, find it, and then teach your child these skills. That's Easy right. enough to do. You'll be grateful that you did. It's good insurance. Money in the bank, as my mother used to say. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about that, but um, I, I had asked Dr. Tarbox, you know, one of my big New Year's resolutions, one of my goals this year is that we're going to be talking about quality ABA. Oh, that's great. I love it. Because for, you know, last year, one of my big things was that I was going to get as much word out there about how essential it was to get ABA and how you got access to ABA and yada, 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 right? And, you know, we did what we could, but it really became uh, clear to me over the break and some of the things that I was reading and some of the arguments that we're talking about blogs all this month, right. all the things that were happening in social networking, how essential it is that everybody understand what quality ABA is in 2000. 2014, not your mama's ABA, <laughs> not 1984 ABA, right. and not ABA that isn't specifically for autism, and not something that somebody hung a shingle and said, I do this. Right. So my question to Dr. Tarbox right now is, how can we know? If we don't know, what's the difference between ABA and quality ABA. Right, right. Well, um, we, uh, Dr. Doreen Grandpache and, act, uh, and I uh, actually wrote uh, a brief book chapter about this, so that might be helpful for folks. Um, if they look up, uh, well, they can email me for it. I can okay. send them a, a PDF copy of it, or they can email you. And you let Absolutely. Me know. Request um, it, and we'll get it sent to you. It's called something like... Um, what makes a good quality ABA program. I love it. Uh, something like that. Uh, but it basically outlines sort of the main features that you're looking for. Uh, some of the sort of hallmark um, 
you know, sort of the skeleton of what, you know, really is the, is, uh, the most important features of an ABA program. Um, and, and there's so much to talk about. I don't even know where to start. Should we start okay. with the sort of top three or something? Yeah, let's do that. Top okay. three. All right. Well, uh, maybe the number one thing, quite honestly, is learning needs to occur. Okay. So uh, in ABA terminology, we call that effective. That's one of the defining features of applied behavior analysis is that it's effective. Um, in many helping disciplines, it's good enough. Uh, you know you've been successful if you care a lot and you try hard, mm. okay? In ABA, you have to care and you mm. have to try hard, but it's not good enough. You have to produce results. Okay. If you don't produce results, you're not doing your job in okay. ABA. Period, okay? So we start with the assumption that every child with autism is capable of learning. Every child's skills, whatever they are today, should be a little bit better tomorrow because of what we do. Okay. That's our job, that's our mission. Um, you know, kind of similar to a medical doctor. Medical doctors don't think they're doing their job if they just care and try hard, right? right. Their patients need to get better. Right. Not every patient is going to be 100% cured every time, right? right? But by and large, when you see a medical doctor, your health should get better, right? Okay. If your arm doesn't, if your broken arm doesn't get right. healed because you went to the doctor, Something's not right, right? One difference I want to point out, though, that I that I love about you and really good BCBAs is that you, it's never the child's fault. That's right. A lot of times when I go to the doctor and I'm not better, the doctor says, well, you didn't follow through on X, <laughs> Y, and Z, right? It's my fault. Right. But it's never the child's fault correct. in autism when we're talking about ABA. That is correct. Because in ABA, what we do is we ask ourselves, what's happening in the child's environment that can be changed to optimize learning? So okay. the blame is always on the environment, it's never on the child. Okay. So our job in ABA is to engineer the child's environment. So that's what ABA therapists do. They're a big part of the child's environment. The ABA therapist behaves in a particular way that creates an environment for the child that optimizes learning, okay? So if learning isn't happening at an optimal rate, that means the therapist's behavior is not happening optimally. Okay. And now this translates for a parent if, you're, if your child is doing ABA, and you and we do need to talk about the fact that it's got to be at a certain amount over a certain amount of time, right? Right, right. Um, right. That you can't expect that if you get two hours a week of ABA and that you do that for two months, that there's going to be a significant change. Well, it depends on what you're trying to target. If you okay. chose one particular skill that you wanted to work on for two hours a week for two months, you might see some progress in that one particular skill. Okay. Is that treatment for autism? Absolutely not, okay. right? Uh, but there are there is such a thing as targeted and focused focused ABA treatment. So for example, a lot of times we'll see a kid just to work on potty training and mm -hmm. that's it. Okay. Or just to decrease challenging behavior and replace it with communication and that's it. Or just to teach safety skills and that's all we're doing. Okay. Uh, can you do something very targeted like that in a few hours a week over the course of a few months? Sure, you can make some progress on those particular goals. But the difference is you're doing ABA for a targeted behavior, not ABA for autism. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. So, but if we're doing ABA for autism, we need more than two hours a week. Absolutely. The research is entirely clear. If you want to get the, the most comprehensive, robust, overall treatment effects for autism for the whole child, mm -hmm. uh, you need uh, 25, 30, or more hours per week. Really, ideally, 30 to 40 hours per week, okay. starting as young as possible, ideally before the child is three and a half years old, okay. and continuing for two or more years, or until the child is caught up, 
with its typically developing peers. In other words, there's nothing left to teach, right? Right. Their development is, is on par uh, with typical development. Or until they're school age and you've given it a shot for at least three to four years and their, their rate of progress is slowing considerably and the school can kind of take over uh, okay. from there. But okay. every kid needs 30 or more hours a week, starting as young as possible, continuing for at least two years. And, and for the parent, if you're doing that, then you should see steady progress on the goals as they are outlined. And Absolutely. if you are not seeing steady progress, if, if there is stagnation at any point, then what is the conversation that you have with the ABA provider before you kick them to the curb? Right. Well, the conversation you need to have every single time you interact with the ABA provider, which in a good quality program is a minimum once every two weeks, right. ideally about once a week, um, the conversation every single time you interact with your ABA supervisor is, what did my child learn in the last two weeks? Mm -hmm. And what can I do to help support that? What, what can I do to help generalization and maintenance of those skills that my child just learned in the last two weeks? So every two week period, that's an opportunity for your child's ABA supervisor to demonstrate to you their competence. Right. Okay. So if they're not able to describe a bunch of stuff that your child learned in the last two weeks, that means your child's not learning. That means right. the program is not effective. Right. And if what I love about what you said is that you're checking, giving them an opportunity to show their expertise and you're giving yourself an opportunity to get better at what you're doing as well. Yeah, absolutely. If you go to a good ABA provider and you say those two things every two weeks, you, they will love you. Absolutely. Uh, they will love you and they will want to work with you and they will give you something to work on a way that That's you can right. be better and they will tell you how your child improved. If you go in and you say those things to your ABA provider and they say, oh, you know, we're working on, uh, and you know we're not really seeing progress on that and you're doing a great job I would say as a parent to another parent time to look for another ABA provider right that's a huge red flag I mean you know you know any any provider might have an off week or something like that okay. but if that becomes a pattern where they're not able to demonstrate progress that your child's graphs of their uh, skill acquisition are flat they're not going up graphs yeah. should be going up that means you know learning is happening right yeah and challenging behavior graphs those should be going down if right. those are flat also and your child is continuing to engage in challenging behavior that means the behavior intervention plan is not working yeah okay and so yeah if on a, on a consistent basis it's a pattern that your provider is telling you eh, no real progress that's a huge problem. That means okay. it is not a good quality ABA program. Because I'm here to tell you, I've worked with hundreds of kids across all different states and in other countries, and I'm here to tell you, every single child is capable of progress. Okay. They're all different, and the rate of progress is going to be different for every child, but every single individual is capable of progress, no matter how severely effective they are. Okay, you heard it from the man, you heard it from him right here. So, and there are more things to this. We're gonna take a slight break, and then we're gonna come back and talk a little bit more about how to to recognize quality ABA versus watered down, uh, you know what, ABA. So stick with us. The Institute for Behavioral Training provides courses in applied behavior analysis for the treatment of autism. Access IBTE learning videos on the move and learn at your own pace. IBTE learning makes any location your classroom on the go. So our objectives for today are to really learn what is autism and how is it diagnosed. Get professional guidance with IBT face-to-face -face training. 
IBT face-to-face -face training courses prepare you to effectively implement ABA-based interventions. Choose between small group and one-to-one -one instruction. Earn BCBA supervision hours via one-to-one -one video conferencing. So I had a chance to review your BIP today. You know what, it looked really good. You did a good job with that. IBT, continuing education courses. Earn credit through webinars, conferences, article reviews, and e-learning videos. You can learn more at ibehavioraltraining.com. IBT, 360 degrees of ABA training. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are here with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. He is the head of research and development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders and the director of the Autism Research Group. We're talking with him today about how to recognize quality ABA versus everything else. Because let's face it, you know, when, when as a parent, if our child's been diagnosed with autism, hopefully you've gotten the message now that you need to get ABA. Hopefully that message has been made clear to you and Hopefully you live in one of the 27 states that have a mandate today that give you funding for uh, uh, ABA for autism. Um, but it's not enough. Right. It's not enough to just run out and get ABA from the first person you find it from because it's got to be quality ABA. That's correct. And, you know, uh, uh, there's plenty of analogies out there that will work. Like, for example, uh, what, what happens if you take your car to the worst mechanic possible? Someone uh, who actually has never gone to school or has never been trained by an expert right. mechanic. I'm the car's not going to get fixed. Right. right? I'm going to be back there. I'm going to spend so much right. money. I'm still going to have all the same worries I had on the first day, and the car's not going to get better. That's exactly until right. Until I decide to go to the mechanic who actually knows what he's doing. Right. What happens if someone, you know, is trusted to build a bridge who actually never went to engineering school, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's no engineer behind it. It's just mm -hmm. someone who is really interested in bridges and has lots of experience maybe looking at bridges and, you know... Right drawing bridges or something but has never actually built a bridge or been right. trained by someone who's an expert. Is it going to work? Maybe. Kind of. Sort of. Is it going to fall down? Maybe. You know. Well, and all those examples are good, but I also want to bring up the fact that we talk about the fact that, uh, you know, you want to be working with a board-certified behavior analyst, right. um, but you want to be working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism. That's exactly right. Yeah. And then beyond that, as you mentioned in the last segment, you've got to see progress. That it's not just enough to check you do need to check and make sure that they're a board-certified behavior analyst, and you need to ask for references that they've worked effectively with autism before. You need to do all those things, but even then, you need to make sure that that person is ensuring that progress is happening. That's right. And, you know, I, I, I believed a year ago that insurance companies were going to help us to make sure that effective... They actually are. They're working on it. Okay. Um, the problem is most insurance companies, of course, don't really know what good ABA looks like either. Right? So it falls to us. So it falls to us. Now, their insurance companies are actually hiring BCBAs and putting them in roles where they work directly for the insurance company and they oversee other BCBAs to try to determine levels of quality, right? Well, you'd hope that the ones that they hire are good enough quality to know, but they might not be. Right. right? Uh, and even if they are, do they have enough time to actually oversee all of this properly? Probably not, right? Uh, so it's it's and, very challenging. And I'm going to flash my cynicism for a moment because the reason why ABA, as my understanding it, is now being covered by insurance is was it was proven to be effective. That's correct. By yeah. so many different studies. But we know that insurance companies mandate that 
progress is tracked right. because if progress isn't happening, they don't have to pay for it with That's an individual exactly right. child. So here is my concern for parents is if you stick with somebody who is not creating progress, you're going to lose your funding. That could actually happen. Insurance companies have been threatening. I, I don't know if they've actually followed through with any of that yet, but they've been talking about that and they've been threatening it constantly. But here's the thing, actually, for an astute parent, even though the insurance companies are doing that for the wrong reason, because the reason they're doing mm -hmm. it for is just to save money, right? It's right. not to help the kids. But even though the insurance companies are doing it for the wrong reason, it's actually going to be helpful for an astute parent. Because it's going to so. give uh, the, the, the astute parent who's really tuned in, it's going to give them a reason to switch providers, right? Yes. Because they can't just withhold treatment, but they can say this provider is not doing it effectively. But I think that this is where the empowerment comes as you as a parent. If you see that your child isn't making the progress, you need to go and say, I want a different provider absolutely. before the insurance company comes to you and says, you're losing your funding because your child didn't make progress. That's absolutely right. Get ahead of it. So how yeah. do we know when it's quality? We know that if the child is making progress, that's one indication. That's a huge one, yeah. Um, and you mentioned that when you're going to your clinics and meeting, you know, some things that we can do. But my fear also, I mentioned to you during the break, is that I, I know that sometimes people go to the clinic and they're really good at shoring up the parents and saying everything's right. going so great and it's happy and it's wonderful, ta-da, fabulous, um, when what's happening in the home doesn't meet what's happening in the clinic. Right, absolutely. And I'd say, um, you know, I'd, as a, a word of warning to parents, I'd say keep in mind that when you meet with your child's ABA supervisor, the purpose of that meeting is not to make you feel good. That's all you want as a parent. You desperately want to feel assured that your child is doing well, right? Mm -hmm. and so all you want is something to make you feel happy and safe and sane for five minutes, right? But that's not the purpose of the meeting. The purpose of the meeting is to take care of business with that kid's program, okay? So you actually need to watch out for um, uh, clinicians doing a lot of things like just talking to you about their personal life or talking to you about your personal life. If right. you've got an hour meeting or a two-hour meeting, serious business needs to happen in that two-hour meeting. Yes. And so if a lot of time is being taken up talking about personal lives or what we did over the weekend or the holiday or anything else, that's taking away time from treatment. And honestly, it often is used to distract the parents away from the real business of what's happening with my kid. Yeah. Um, so it's, a, it's kind of a red flag. Very little chit-chat should be happening about this, that, and the other thing, most of the talking during those meetings, those supervision meetings, should be about, is this kid learning this particular skill or not, and how does the program need to be changed or advanced to make it work better? And one of the things I loved at CARD when we were going through this process was that the whole team met during the, the clinics, and the whole team had to take turns demonstrating how That's they right. were running the individual programs. That's right. So that the supervisor could tweak it, and it, you know, it was always an opportunity for me if, I always said, our team is only as strong as the weakest player and I will not be the weakest player, right? <laughs> Which meant that the weakest player was going to be a therapist and, you know, sometimes it was somebody who was really good but needed a little support. That's right. Right? And instead of embarrassing them in my home, it was a way in a clinic for them to run it and then the supervisor could say, let's do it this way and then that person got better. Right. Now my whole team just got better. That's right. Uh, and it was done in a very productive way that it was all about learning and being better so that we yeah. could help this child in a better way. Yeah, it doesn't need to be negative. I mean, uh, good quality ABA supervision is very productive, it's very positive, mm -hmm. it's upbeat, and it's honest, mm -hmm. right? So you do point out, nope, nope, you didn't quite get that right. Here, right. therapist, try it more like this. Model yeah. it. 
Then the therapist does it, they do it correctly, give them positive feedback, yeah. great job. You just train someone, you just improve the quality of the program. Absolutely, absolutely. But I mentioned to Dr. Tarbox um, that early on, um, I can, well, I guess Jem probably had already had a year and a half of therapy, and a friend was starting her son in therapy. I, of course... Standard for a child to have aggressive behavior, uh, especially a child on the spectrum, especially earlier on in their program, and that's part and parcel of what we do as ABA therapists. And we, it, don't, we don't leave when it gets difficult. Our job is to be there when it's difficult. The host of the, the segment, Lost in Public, Ryan Bergstrom, uh, was one of my son's first therapists. He was the second therapist to ever come to our door. And I always joke, I always look at his forehead to see if there is a mark on his forehead from where my child picked up a geotrack, railroad track, and thunked him in the middle of his forehead while he was graphing something. And Ryan did not leave. Right. Uh, Ryan was like, I will pay better attention and block that so that I don't get injured in the future right. while I'm taking, you know, yes, graphing. Yeah. Um, but he did not leave. Uh, and the first time that my child ever engaged in self-injurious behavior when a therapist was there, it was Ryan who was there. And he was already off the clock and supposed to be out the door to go to the next home. And Ryan said, no, 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 I'm staying, and called the office and said, I need to stay here. We're in the middle of some challenging behavior. And he talked me through it. Right. Changed our lives. Um, that's what ABA should look like, quality Absolutely. ABA. Th and if, if your therapists aren't there for you in those moments, wrong ABA therapists, right. wrong ABA provider. Anything else? I, the other thing that comes to mind for me is that if, if your child isn't thrilled when mm -hmm. the therapists mm -hmm. come to the door, mm -hmm. that to me is a huge red flag. Right, yeah, it's re that's a really good, uh, important point. Basically, the kid being happy when the therapist's there is an indication that the therapist is able to actually use meaningful motivators, meaningful rewards, right? Yeah. Meaningful positive reinforcers. Yeah. If the kid's really not happy, uh, that basically shows what you're saying. I mean, from a common sense perspective, the kid doesn't want to do it, right? Yeah. So if the kid doesn't want to do it, they're not going to learn nearly as well. Now, that's not to say every child is going to be, you know, super happy happy every single time they have to right. learn, right? Obviously right. not. And there will be periods when children have particularly difficult time uh, with escape maintained, challenging mm -hmm. behavior and tantrums and trying to escape and you have to work through it and you have to follow through. Uh, but overall as a pattern, your child's happiness level in ABA should be increasing, yes. not decreasing. Yeah. In fact, it shouldn't even be remaining stable, right? It should be more or less pretty fun. Yeah. And if it's not, that's a red flag. Yeah. Um, another big thing to look at is uh, training. Mm. Um, ABA therapy, even though it is pretty much common sense, turns out it's actually not easy to do. It's actually really hard and it requires a lot of training. Yeah. So even if you take someone who's really bright and has a lot of experience working with kids but has never done ABA therapy before, even someone like that is going to require maybe 30 or 40 hours of training and then a lot like in the classroom and then yeah. a lot of hands-on follow-up with expert trainers observing them, giving them feedback and making sure they're doing it correctly. Yeah. So here's a good sort of litmus test. Uh, for your ABA provider, you should ask them, how much training has my therapist had? Or how, mu how much training do new therapists need to have when they first show up? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that should seem unreasonable to you. It should seem <laughs> okay. like too much. I like honestly. that. Yeah. I mean, that's how ABA works. If it seems like it's efficient and it seems like it's easy, then you're not doing it right. I okay. mean, it, it takes a lot of training and a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and same thing with supervisors. You, you, should, uh, you should ask the clinical director of your child's ABA program how much training does someone need to, to need to undergo to move from being a therapist to a supervisor level, right? Mm -hmm. So how much training do the BCBAs need to get within that organization? Right. Separate from their BCBA certification the and yeah. coursework and all that, within that organization, how much training do they need to have? Wow. That 
answer should be unreasonable. It should make you think that's not possible to do that much. Yeah. If it's not unreasonable to you, it's not enough. Okay, great, great point. And of course, the thing that I always say to parents is never trust anybody ever for any reason. I'm that level of paranoid that I advocate always, if you're doing ABA in your home, get a, a nanny cam or a, a, a video camera um, that does sound and picture and tell yeah. everyone. Yeah. Don't Just hide it. Yeah. It's not a secret. Anybody who walked in my door, I would say, by the way, we're wired for sound. I'll be listening to everything yeah. you say and I'll be watching everything that you do and the other. Did I watch everything that they did? No. no. of course not. Right? Did I listen to everything? No, but did I listen to most of it and learn? Right. <gasps> oh my gosh, what and I learned. It makes sure everyone's on their best behavior. You know, yes. it does seem a little bit big brother-ish, so if you're going to do that, I recommend combining that with being very nice and supportive also. Absolutely. Right? So, so Praise you, and Yeah, so reinforce. when you hear or see the therapist do something that really makes you happy with, with the kid, at the end of the therapy session, tell the therapist yes. that. They'll really appreciate it little piece of positive feedback. Absolutely. But you'll have the peace of mind of knowing that you know what's going on and the educational That's factor right. of it and being able to follow through on what they're doing. That's right. Absolutely key. And and if there is anything going on that isn't what's quality ABA, you will know. Right. You will absolutely know. And I would say, too, that any therapist who's squeamish about being on camera, that's not your ABA provider. That's right. You just so, say, well, too bad. That's part of the job. This is what's happening. And, and there are many people who do this. And, oh, yeah. you know, I, I told every single therapist who came through the door any anytime anybody was visiting, doing an overlap, observing, I said, just so you know, multiple cameras. I can see in here and they went great right nobody had a problem right and a lot of ABA therapists will actually like that because they'll want you to watch but they won't always want you in the room because Absolutely. it can be a distraction right Absolutely. if your kid sees you there why is he gonna want to pay attention to the work he'd rather try to snuggle with you you know yes. what I mean? Um, whereas if you have a nanny cam or some kind of uh, security camera or whatever then you can watch the, as much we as had you baby want. monitors baby monitors baby exactly. monitors anything like that I wasn't it wasn't high-tech it was baby monitors uh, and I'll tell you what else it's good for too because sometimes with a certain program or a lesson your child will have a hard day that's right and they'll start to cry and they might even call for you mm -hmm. and a lot of times you know you have to sit there in the other room and know that you're not going to them right. uh, for that snuggle as you brought up but you also know that what happened isn't harming them right that you're not sitting there saying, what did they say to him? What did they do? Why is he right. crying? Is right. he hurt? Exactly. Do I need to go? You know exactly what happened because it's right there exactly. and you can see it. And that allows you to sit there and say, you know, this is like when my child learned how to walk. It was tough and sometimes they fell down and hit their head and they cried, but they survived and we didn't say, that's it. No more walking no more. for you. That's a great, I, I love that metaphor. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, it's not mine. I stole it. Uh, <laughs> I did not invent it. In any case, uh, great things to look for. And we will talk about more about this in, in the coming weeks. We're going to take a short break and have Dr. Tarbox answer one of our frequently asked questions. We'll be right back after this. Stick with us. I'm Bryce Myler and I'm the Contracts Director for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. I've been here for about five years. CARD has several employees with many years of insurance experience uh, dealing with insurance, dealing with pre-authorizations, dealing with discovering whether there's coverage or not. So we have more experience than any ABA provider that I've ever come across. So for, for a prospective client, somebody that may be interested in you know ABA therapy and what CARD has to offer, we have a special 800 number um, and you call that number. They will talk to you about what we have to offer, uh, how ABA works. They'll ask you for the front and back of your ID card and then we check to see if you do or do not have coverage. If you have coverage for ABA therapy, we try to do whatever we can 
to set it up where we can bill for you and you don't have to fight with the insurance company every month to get your claims paid. For California residents, we recently did a series of insurance trainings all over the state and you can click on the link below to watch pretty much the full presentation. It has a lot of information how you can get your insurance company to, to comply with what they're supposed to do, uh, understanding the networks and many other um, valuable pieces of information. Welcome back to Autism Live. Our guest right now is Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. We had a question come in on the live feature, so we've prioritized and said we're going to answer this question today. Sounds good. Uh, somebody wrote in and said, what if it's a teenager teaching social skills? Is it quality ABA or do you go around and do it by means of cognitive therapy? Right. It's a great question and I really um, am happy that your, your, uh, your viewer asked it. So. Uh, Social skills, uh, social skills training for uh, folks on the spectrum, regardless of whether you're children or adults, adolescents, whatever it is, um, can be very effective using an ABA format. And actually, a lot of the more sort of high-functioning or higher-order social skills training uh, that we do at CARD looks very similar to what she is probably referring to as um, cognitive or cognitive behavioral. Mm -hmm. And basically what it is is it's talking about what uh, social strategies are going to be effective, helping the individual on the spectrum identify what they value, you, you know, well, what do you want to do? You want to make friends? Do you want to hold better conversations? Do you mm -hmm. want to understand where people are coming from more? Uh, setting goals. Um, and then uh, practicing, mm -hmm. okay, which is behavior, right? Mm -hmm. Talking through it, thinking about it, which is the cognitive part, uh -huh. um, and, and making sure to practice in a lot of different ways across a lot of different settings and a lot of different people so that you get generalization. So you get a, the ability to actually apply that new social skill in general in your life rather than just memorizing some behavior in a particular okay. situation. Um, so yes, ABA, high quality ABA can be used to teach social skills to adults, absolutely. Um, and some of the cognitive behavioral programs can actually be quite effective. And honestly, what you'll see is there's a lot of overlap between them. Okay, but what's gonna be key is that in this moment in time, your insurance is going to more than likely cover the quality ABA. That's correct. And not the cognitive skills. Well, that's correct. And some, some insurance companies will or will not cover social skills training for adults on the spectrum okay. uh, because they might argue that it's not medically necessary. So so it might fall to you to make an argument that social skills for an adult is medically necessary. Um, okay. And it depends on how you define medically necessary and it depends on how you define social skills. Uh, the ability to communicate with others, is that medically necessary? Uh, yes, uh -huh. obviously, right? Yeah. Uh, but something really subtle like understanding the difference between um, someone else's preferences versus their desires or something, is that medically necessary? Probably not, right? Okay. So there's definitely a lot of gray area in there. Okay. Um, and it probably depends depends on um, how closely you can tie the targets that you want your son to work on with um, skills and consequences and outcomes that have clear, obvious medical impacts okay. on their life. So like, that's the case you would present, right. but of course there'll be lots of things taught once you get there right, uh, and are getting the, the training. Okay, then we've had three questions come in about, you referenced the chapter in the book, and earlier Dr. Nadowski talked about the book that's being written. Right. People want to know when is the card book going to be available? Ah, yes, the card book. Yeah, we are working <laughs> on that. We are almost done with it. We turn it into the publisher March 1st, okay. and the publisher says, 
says it will be published in 2014. Okay. And it's being published by Academic Press, which is a division of Elsevier, okay. which is one of the major scientific publishing companies. Uh, so we're really excited about that. Um, it's going to be, it's a how-to manual. It's going to be, it's all very practical. It's okay. written for BCBAs and for parents. Um, and yeah, that's that's been like my whole team. Yeah. That's our whole life over the last year is writing this book. So we Absolutely. can't wait to get it out. Well, and we should mention too, we should at least reference the fact that we talked earlier today uh, with Dr. Nadowski about the fact that the Skills BIP Builder is live and active today. That's and that correct. was you and your team as well that's that right. did that. Yeah. Uh, Art, Art Wilkie, Adele Nadowski, my, me, um, um, Ryan Bergstrom, Michelle Bishop, Amy Kenzer, a lot of people did a lot of work that went into that. And so we, we're, we're loving the fruition of your work. So really thank remarkable. Um, so we want to thank you for being here and answering these questions. Dr. Tarbox will be here with us now on Thursdays. Previously, he was on Friday, so make that note for yourself to catch him live on our show on Thursdays. We're going to take a short break to let him go, and then I'm going to be back to finish out the show. Stick with us. Hi, we're here with Temple Grandin, and we're going to be asking her some of your questions that you guys have written into us. First of all, Temple, I want to thank you for being with us here today. No, it's good and to be here. This is a question that I want to know. When you went to the Emmys and you went to all these different events and you were there in your wonderful shirt, was there anybody who tried to talk you into wearing something else, or did they just understand that you needed to be who you were? Well, I think being eccentric is just fine. I dressed eccentric at the um, Emmys. Mm -hmm. Eccentric's fine. Being a filthy slob is not fine. Let's look at the latest Mars rover. You got the Mohawk guy that's ahead of the expedition. You got the Elvis guy that yeah. figured out how to land on the moon and he wears Elvis outfits. I think that's just fine. But you can't be a rude, filthy, dirty slob. That's the thing where draw the line. Eccentric's fine. I remember a guy who was on the spectrum and he taught astronomy at a local college. And he had beautiful astronomy t-shirts and he had long hair with a ponytail this long. And I said to him, don't let anybody cut your ponytail off. You know, wear it with pride, but it must be washed and it must be clean there you and go. neat. Love it. Did they try to talk you into wearing a dress or they, they knew Oh no, were... nobody knew I would wear a dress. <laughs> I, I got too much of a farmer tan and would just look just terrible. I'm, no, you're not going to get me in an evening gown. I did buy some new black pants I'm going to wear okay. tonight. Well, I thought you looked great. Uh, well, I want to let you know about the shirt award of the Emmys. Yeah. That was a Ralph Lauren oh, shirt. There okay, you go. fashion snobs. <laughs> and that was a gift from my sister for Christmas. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're here at the end of the show, at the end of the week, because uh, new programming note that we are going to be live on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, for the time being, we won't be doing live shows on Monday or Friday. Uh, but if you're wanting to see the show and wanting to see more, help us to build viewership so that we can be with you more hours of the day and more hours, more days of the week. Uh, but I do want to give you some programming notes about what's happening this month and what's happening next week. So uh, on Tuesday of next week, we will have our regulars, Matt Asner from Autism Speaks and Alex Plank from WrongPlanet.net will be here on Tuesday. We will also begin our blog O-Rama, uh, the A-U instead of the O-Rama, uh, featuring autism bloggers. And our first one, one of my favorites, Liz Becker of World According to Matt will be with us on Tuesday to talk about that blog and about her recent 
recent book that she wrote as a result of that blog, an awesome autism mom who is a wonderful advocate for her son who is on the autism spectrum and an adult on the autism spectrum. So she is one of those pioneers that's been in the trenches a long time, very knowledgeable. So that will be on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we will, of course, have Dr. Doreen Grampuche for Let's Talk, or excuse me, for Ask Dr. Doreen. She will be answering your questions. And then we will have Nancy Allspot-Jackson for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. And as I mentioned before, our special guest on Wednesday will be Emily Island. She is the president of the Autism Society of Los Angeles, uh, been an autism advocate for many, many years, and has written several books and is the... Uh, person behind the movie Be Safe the Movie. So we'll be talking about that with her and a lot of different stories that have been in the news lately about individuals who are on the spectrum. One tragic story that we'll be covering on Wednesday of parents who called the police asking for help and the police came and before they left they ended up shooting the 18-year-old son that they had called and asked for help with. Uh, so we'll be talking about those kinds of things and how we can take advantage of uh, information that is out and available to us in free and easy formats and low expensive formats to educate our young adults and our kids so that these kinds of tragedies don't have to continue happening. And then on Thursday, we're going to have a very special guest from Autism Radio, and we'll have with us back again Dr. Adele Nadowski and Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, and I believe one other guest on Thursday. So it's a big week next week. Uh, looking forward to having your input. We're going to continue to talk about autism from a 360 degree perspective. We are going to be talking about quality ABA because I, I, I really want to drive home and give everybody the information about how to ensure that quality ABA is um, what you have happening. Uh, it's imperative that you make sure that it's quality ABA, not just not just your mama's ABA, right? I uh, also want to let you know that uh, there is a blog right now that's called The State of the State of Autism that is authored by myself on the Center for Autism. If you go there and click on blog, you can read that right now. Would love any feedback on that. And uh, we do have a series that I am starting a blogs here on our site about quality ABA. So, um, and that will be coming to you very soon. It is in the proof stage. So there we are. Um, we hope that you guys will write to us and let us know if you're liking this new format of us just being on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, um, and that you will share uh, information about where to find us with everyone that you find on social networking sites. I want to thank you for sticking with us and coming back into the new year. We'll be back on Tuesday. Until then, please give your kiddos a hug from me. Bye-bye for now.